Praise the Lord. He is risen. He is risen. Let us pray before we turn to God's word this morning. Lord, as we turn our attention to your holy and true word, Lord, I pray that as we allow you through humble submission to open our ears and our eyes and our hearts to the power of your word, Lord, that we will be reminded of the beauty of this very day. So, Lord, you do what we cannot do in our own strength. Lord, that not only would you bring uh, life out of death, uh, but, Lord, you will give power out of weakness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you would, open your Bibles to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. If you're joining with us on campus and you do not have a copy of God's Word, I would encourage you to look underneath the seat that you're sitting in or underneath the seat in front of you. There should be a blue Bible there. I would encourage you to take that Bible, open up to page 1003. 1003, that's what we'll be this morning. Uh, This morning we have certainly been celebrating uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and we're going to continue to do that. And the way that we want to do that as we study God's word this morning is that we want to be reminded, we want to be thankful, and we want to trust, we want to rest in the very finished work of Jesus Christ. And in order to do that, we are going to backtrack 2,000 years ago when Jesus hung on that cross on Good Friday. Those six hours that Jesus was on that cross he spoke some of the most amazing words ever heard by man. Six sayings from the cross. On the cross, that first word that Jesus spoke, beginning around 9 a.m. on that Good Friday morning, was a word of forgiveness. As the crowds were mocking him, crucify him, crucify him, as the Roman soldiers were nailing his hands and his feet to the cross, Jesus cries out to his Father, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And in the midst of that crucifixion, there were two criminals, one on his left and one on his right, also being crucified. Where Jesus was innocent of all charges, these criminals were guilty on all of them and more. And one of those criminals, hearing Jesus' prayer to the Father, recognizing his need for a Savior, says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And at that moment, Jesus gives a word of salvation. Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And then the scene begins to drastically shift, not because they were moved from the cross, but what was happening around them. The scripture says from 12 p.m., noontime to 3 p.m., darkness covered the entire land. The scripture says that in Matthew 27, now from the sixth hour, that would be noon, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, 3 p.m., Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Ali, Ali, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The great word of agony. And after this, the scripture says in John 19, verse 28, scripture says, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. So God, through Christ, shows a word of need. And then right after that, verse 29, the scripture says, a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. It is finished. 
Now we use that phrase, it is finished for many things. For our kids, did you finish your dinner? Did you finish your homework, right? This past week, as I thought about that phrase, it is finished, I began to think about my to-do list, is it finished, right? And I don't know about you, but that to-do list seems to get longer and longer and longer. And it's not that you haven't tried or haven't, uh, you know, done some of the things on that list, but have you fully finished it? And I kind of got in a place that wasn't good, overwhelmed with all the things that were still left to do. So I said, yeah, I'm going to go back to my happy place, right? And for me, growing up in the 80s and the 90s, one of the, the times that I enjoyed growing up in the 80s and 90s was watching pro wrestling, right? And every decent wrestler had a finishing move. Did you realize that? For example, I'll show you some this morning. The Iron Sheik. Who remembers the Iron Sheik? That just doesn't look healthy, right? He had the camel clutch, all right? Uh, what about the junkyard dog, one of my favorites? He would pick you up, and he would run you around, and then he would body slam you on the ground. It was called the thump. What about uh, Hulk Hogan? Hulk Hogan, he would have his man laying on the mat. He would run past them, and then he would give them the atomic leg drop. Or Macho Man Randy Savage. Macho Man Randy Savage would climb on top of the turnbuckle. He would raise his hands up real high, and he would jump, and he would do the flying elbow. But my favorite, my favorite, the ultimate warrior. The ultimate warrior, where it seemed like he was defeated. He would begin to like that, and spit would be able to come out, and he would pick up the guy, and he would gorilla press him, and then slam him to the ground. That was the finishing moves, and I, I began to be like, yes. So if, if I'm not careful, I will go home today, and I will begin doing flying elbows from the couch, and a gorilla presses to my children, and I, and I don't want to do that, so I've got to be careful, but the greatest finishing move of all of human history happened 2,000 years ago, and what's the picture? The picture is the cross and the empty tomb. You see, when Jesus cried out, he did not cry out, I am finished. He cried out, it is finished. So that cry is not a cry of defeat. It is a cry of great victory. And the empty tomb is a declaration, a monument for eternity that Jesus Christ has the victory. In the original language, the word would be telestai. And that word would have been used uh, throughout all the community for different reasons. For example, to the servant, it means the work is done. To the Old Testament priest, it means the sacrifice is perfect. To the skilled artist, it means the painting is complete. To the merchant, it's a receipt that says paid in full. And to the prisoner, it means a debt is paid. But for you and I, as followers of Christ, brothers and sisters in the Lord, when Jesus cried out, it is finished. It means that everything that possibly needed to be done for you and I to be saved, to be delivered, and to be rescued is found in him. Do you live every day reminded, thankful, and trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ? I don't think there's anything more difficult for the Christian to do than just that. You see, there's a tension that wells up in the depths of our soul that says, is it enough? Is what Christ did 2,000 years ago, is that enough for me today? And what wells up inside of us at the very depths of our soul, that, that whisper that continues to nag at our hearts, there's got to be more. There's got to be something that we have to do to deserve it. There's got to be something that we have to do to earn it. And an even greater, greater voice, a louder voice says, it is finished. 
you know, that difficulty, that tension that we face today is nothing new. It's the same tension that the early church would face. In fact, uh, the Apostle Paul would write to the church in Colossae because uh, false teaching began to come into uh, the early church that communicated that Jesus wasn't enough, that it had to be Jesus plus something else. And so uh, Paul writes to them and he encourages them and he reminds them that the finished work of Christ is more than sufficient. The scripture says in Colossians 2 verses 13 through 15, these words, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. It is finished. A great cry of victory. And it's from that very passage on this very Easter morning, 2023, that we want to look at three amazing blessings that come from the finished work of Christ, the work on the cross, and the empty tomb. And I'm going to give one word for each one. The first word is life. Life. In verse 13, Paul reminds the church in Colossians who they used to be before they had a relationship with him. The scripture says in the beginning of verse 13, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. Before your relationship with Jesus, you were dead in your sin. Paul writes in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You and I, at birth, we are sentenced to death, physical death. That's why we have uh, disease and sickness, We're sentenced to spiritual death. That means we're separated from God. We're sentenced to eternal death. That means we are under the full wrath of God for eternity. The word dead here means without life, without power. And Paul illustrates this very clearly in uh, in, in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, the scripture says, And you were dead without life, without power, in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. In other words, there was a time where you were disobedient. Following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air, the spirit, and that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were dominated by the systems of the world that want to remove God at everything. We were dominated by the desires of the flesh. We were dominated by Satan himself. And the scripture says, and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were doomed. We were doomed. Helpless. Nothing we could do to change it. But, but... By the grace of God, the scripture says in verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, God loved us so great, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. In other words, he awakened your soul, he awakened my soul. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now why would he do that? Verse 7 is the purpose statement. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and the kindness towards us in Christ Jesus forever. We would experience the joy of his glory. So on that Sunday morning, 2,000 years ago, when that stone was rolled away, it showed us that Jesus Christ had power over the grave. And because he had power over the grave, you and I can have life today. In other words, 2,000 years ago when Jesus walked out of that grave, seeing down the quarter of the times from when I would receive Christ by grace through faith, I too walked out of that grave. I have new life in him. In fact, the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore if anyone is in Christ, 
is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That means I have a new power. I have a new master. I have new loves. I have new desires. And I don't have to live the life now trying to figure it out on my own. In fact, the, the gospel, the scripture tells us over and over again, you can't do it, but Jesus Christ can. And guess what? The same power that rose Jesus Christ from the grave now lives in you and lives in me as followers of Christ. Paul writes in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you believe you have resurrection power today? Do you believe that you don't have to give any real estate whatsoever to Satan? You don't have to give him anything. You're not captive to him at all. You're not even captive to yourself. You are captive to Jesus Christ. And so today, right now, you have to believe, you have to trust, you have to be reminded, you have to celebrate that the finished work of Christ is sufficient, that you are no longer dead in your sin, but you are alive in Christ. The second word is a word of reconciliation. Reconciliation, that word reconciliation means to, 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 to take two things that were once separated and, and bring them back together again. And on the cross, when Jesus cried out, it is finished, guess what? That's exactly what he was doing. He was taking things that were separated and bringing them back together again. How so? Colossians 2, second part of verse 13, leading into verse 14, the scripture says, Having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. What an amazing set of verses here. Jesus canceled, Jesus set aside, Jesus nailed it to the cross. The question is, what is it that he nailed to the cross? What is it that he took away? What is it that he canceled out? It was our sin, our sin. That's what separates us from God. Paul writes in Romans 6, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This one verse tells us two very important things about sin. One, it tells us something about our past. The scripture says, all have sinned. That is a past tense statement. That is true of you and I. We enter into this world sinners, right? The second thing that it tells us is that there's a present tense aspect of this sin. The scripture says, and fall short of the glory of God. That, that phrase, fall short, is in the present tense. That means that what? That continually, guess what we do? We sin, and because there is sin, there is separation. And yet, the scripture tells us that in Christ, he has reconciled us back to the Father. Now, how did he do this? He did it through the cross, and we get a hint of this in John verse 19, verse 29, or chapter 19, verse 29. Remember what the scripture said? Uh, after Jesus cried out, I thirst, the scripture said, a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his, speaking of Jesus' mouth. You see, 2,000 years before the crucifixion of Christ, or 2,000 years ago when Jesus was being crucified on the cross, uh, they took that, that hyssop branch with that wine poured on it, and when they put it on his mouth, what they didn't realize is not, not only was that hyssop branch touching his lips, but the, the blood-drenched lips of Jesus were also touching that hyssop branch. And it gives us a reminder of what was happening before that in Exodus chapter 12. In Exodus 12, God instructs his people uh, to, to make a sacrifice and to take that sacrifice, the blood of that sacrifice, and dip it into the hyssop branch. And painted over the doorpost of your house. And when the death angel came and he saw that blood, he would pass over that house. In other, in other words, life was spared. And that's what Jesus was doing. When that hyssop branch touched his lips, 
he was showing to the world that he was the only one that could pass over your sins. He was the only one that could forgive you of your sins. Now the question is, why the blood? Hebrews 9.22 says this, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And what would happen in the Old Testament, uh, in Leviticus 16, it tells us that on the Day of Atonement, that one day out of the year, when the sins of the people were going to be atoned for, two goats would have been taken to the temple. And there, the one goat would have been the sacrificial goat. Uh, the high priest would, would sacrifice that animal, take the blood of that animal, go into the Holy of Holies uh, where the very presence of God was. The, the only person that could go into that place was the, the high priest. And the only time he could go is one time a year, the Day of Atonement. He would go into that place where the mercy seat was and he would sprinkle that blood over the mercy seat as a way of atoning for the people's sin, a, a way of paying for the sin. But there was a second goat. That was called the scapegoat. And what would happen is the high priest would put his hands on top of that scapegoat and he would confess the sins of all the people. And then he would take that goat, he would lead it out, into, out of the city and he would release it never to be returned again. In other words, there was a transaction that was made, a symbolic transaction that was made that the guilt of the sin had been removed. There's one small problem with the sacrificial system in the Old Testament. It was only a shadow. It was only a picture of a greater sacrifice to come. The scripture says in Hebrews 10 verse 4, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Think about it like this. I mean, just say deep down right now you have this urging, you have this itching to go to Costco. Not today because I think they're closed, but tomorrow. And you just got to have that 85-inch TV, right? I mean, the bells and whistles and everything. And so you've measured the box. Don't measure the TV. Measure the box. And you've, you've confirmed with 100% assurity you can get that big old box and you can tie it to your Volkswagen and you can get it home, right? You just figured out a game plan. You're ready to go. And so you load that thing up onto that little thing they got, the little cart they got. You go to the, the, the counter there to check out, and you've got one of those city, uh, those Visa City cards that are sponsored by Costco. On the back, it's got your membership, so you have access into the store. And on the front, you've got the ability to, to get out of the store with that piece of equipment, right? So you give them the credit card. Here's the reality. That credit card really wasn't a true payment, was it? Why? Because three or four weeks later, as you're playing your video games and watching TV and all that good stuff, you get a bill in the mail. And guess what? You have to actually pay, truly pay for that TV. So there's a transaction that occurs from your bank account to their account, right? Now it has been satisfied. In other words, when we think about the Old Testament, the sins in the past, the sins in the Old Testament were charged to God's account waiting for the full and final payment that would be done through the finished work of Jesus Christ, his one and only son. Hebrews 10, 12 says it like this, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Hebrews 9, 24 says this, for Christ has entered not into holy, place, holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. In other words, through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, our sins have been forgiven. The very things that once separated us from God have now been forgiven. Why? Because Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. He is the perfect substitute. Hebrews 1.3 says this, He, speaking of Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God. He doesn't reflect the glory of God. He is the glory of God. And the exact imprint of his nature, that means Jesus is the real deal. So when Jason goes to, Pastor Jason goes to Taco Bell, I'm always thinking, you're not getting the real meat, man. That's, that's fake stuff, right? 
And this real deal, this genuine Savior, he upholds the universe by the word of his power and making purification for sins. He sat down, it is finished, at the right hand of the majesty on high. So we're in the Old Testament. Those sacrifices were just a picture of a shadow to the one, to, to the one who came. Jesus Christ is the full and final sacrifice. Now the question is, how far has he removed our sins from us? Remember, the scapegoat went outside the city, never to be seen before. How far has he removed it? The psalmist writes in Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. How much has Jesus, through the blood of himself, covered our sins? The prophet Micah says in Micah 7, verse 19, you will cast, that is, you will hurl our sins, all our sins, into the depths of the sea. Now think about the depths of the sea for just a moment. The, the deepest place that we know of in the ocean is, out, uh, is right off the coast of Japan. It's 30, 36,000 feet deep. That's seven miles, over seven miles feet, or almost seven miles deep. And Jesus says, God's word says, I have covered your sins with the depths of that love. So in other words, when we look to the cross, when we look to the empty tomb, guess what? That is our receipt that it has truly been paid and full. Do you know how blessed you are today? Romans 4 says this, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. In other words, the most blessed people on the planet aren't the ones who have everything, the ones who are the richest and the the ones who seem to have all the creature comforts of this life. The most blessed person on the planet are those whose sins have been forgiven by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And guess what? At the moment that Jesus cried out, it is finished. At the moment that he bowed his head and lifted up his spirit to the Lord, the scripture says that the, torn, the, the curtain had been torn. In the temple, there was a curtain that would have been 60 feet high, 30 feet wide, 4 inches thick, separating uh, the people from the holiness of God. And in that moment, the scripture says that God tore that curtain from top to bottom, signifying that what? The separation is over. And that is good news for you and I today. Because when we find ourselves in a place of desperation, when we find our place, ourselves in a place of hopelessness and helplessness, when we find ourselves even in a place where we have committed sin, guess what? Because of Jesus Christ, we have access to the Father. The scripture says in Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16, Since then, we have a great high priest, speaking of Jesus, who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in who every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The scripture says that we can draw near. That's a present tense verb. That means that every day, moment by moment by moment, we can continually go to the access of the Father that is given to us through Christ. And it says that we can do it with confidence boldness not because of pride and arrogance of what we have done or how good we are but because of what Christ has done and how awesome he is do you see the promise of reconciliation where we were once separated from God because of the finished work of Christ he has brought us back together are you enjoying that access that you have to the father today to know that you are fully reconciled with him Live in that every day. Cherish it every day. Remind yourself, celebrate it. Trust in that access that you have today. And one final word, a word of victory. A word of victory. Colossians 2.15 says this. He, speaking of Jesus, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in 
him. These rulers and authorities are a reference to Satan on all his uh, evil powers, the demons that he has. And, and it says that, that those powers have been stripped away, right? And, and understand the context. Paul would have understood for a well that when a, uh, when a Roman general went out to battle and that battle had been won, the way that they would declare that, they didn't have internet, by the way, so that's shocking, right? The way that they would declare that battle is they would go into the city, led by the Roman general, followed by his soldiers, followed by the spoils of war, followed by the prisoners that they took in captivity, and they would march them right down the city. And the word that is used there is the same word that is given for good news. And so the good news to the people would be what? We have won the battle. We have won the battle. Oh, in a far greater sense, we, because of King Jesus, the great victor, we have the ability to walk all through life with a full declaration that he is one, he is one, he is one. And though Satan has not been dethroned yet on this earth, he has been defeated. Again, you don't have to give Satan one ounce of your mind, your will, your actions. You have the power of Christ living in you. You are truly victorious, but we also need to be reminded that Satan is still on the prowl, right? He's still a tempter. He's still a deceiver. The scripture, in fact, says that he is the ultimate liar. The scripture says in John 8, verse 44, Jesus is talking to the religious group, and he talks about how they, uh, how they lie similar to that of Satan, their father. He says, you are your father, the devil, and you, your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. In other words, he is 100% against you and against me. In other words, that the desire of the evil one and the desire of the holy one are two different desires, right? The scripture says in John 10:10, 10, 10, the thief, talking about the devil, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I, speaking of Jesus, came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And so the question is not if, the question is when. When you are positioned and pressured with things to allure your mind, your feelings, your appetites, and your actions, you have a choice. Do I take on the system of the world, or do I take on the holiness of Christ? I mean, you think about the attacks that are being unleashed today in our world. They're not physical, they're spiritual. And, and yes, we can look at the world and see how bad it is, right? Right? But the reality is, if we're not careful, church, we will succumb to the same things that the world is succumbing to. And I, in fact, I think that's not only happening in many churches today. I think that's happening in some of our homes right here in this sanctuary today. That we have given real estate, we have given access to the power of Satan in our lives. And remember, he has one goal. That is to devastate your life to seek, to kill, steal, and destroy. Therefore, we must prepare for battle. Peter says this in verse uh, 8 and 9 in chapter 5. He says, be sober-minded, think clearly, be watchful, stay on guard. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. In other words, he is pursuing you all the time, seeking someone to, to devour. In other words, he, he wants to devastate your life, right? The scripture says, how do, we, how do we resist him? We resist him firm in your faith. In other words, we depend on the power of Christ, the victorious power of Christ 
every day, not in our own strength. Are you resting in God's strength today? Do you truly believe that you are victorious today? That leaves us with a final question. How do I receive and live in the finished work of Jesus? It really is the same way. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, by grace through faith you can. If you are already a follower of Jesus Christ, how do you live this life? How do you live victorious? How do you live knowing with great assurance that you have been fully reconciled to God forever? By grace through faith. Easter reminds us and confronts us with the powerful truth that Jesus is more than enough. He is more than enough. Your greatest need is only going to be found and met and satisfied in him. Will you receive him today? Will you rest in him today? How has the Lord been speaking to you today? If you're a follower of Christ or there are places in your life where you're not living in the new life that Christ has for you. Are you losing sight of the assurance that we have where we have complete access to the Father? Maybe today you're, you're not seeing yourself as the victorious one. Listen, it's not about your feelings. About, it's about the truth of the gospel. And the question is, will you trust that? And so maybe you have submitted some things over to the works of the flesh. And today you're reminded on this Resurrection Sunday that Christ lives in me. Therefore, I desire to live for him. And so maybe there's a place of confession and repentance and renewed trust in the gospel. I would encourage you to take that opportunity this morning. Enjoy the fellowship that you have with the Lord. So maybe you want to come forward at the altar and just spend time with the Lord or spend time with the Lord where you're at. I would be up here. I would love to pray with you.